0: Welcome to Biblical Time Machine, the podcast in which we travel back thousands of years to explore the historical context in which the Bible was written. New Testament, Old Testament, all those weird books that didn't make the cut, and and some of the weird books that did make the cut, we're going to talk about all of them, and the worlds in which they were written, the cultures, politics, and beliefs of the ancient world. All right? So first of all, who am I, right? Good question. I am Dave Roos. I'm a journalist who writes about this kind of stuff, religion, history, and culture for you know pretty much anybody who will pay me. But more importantly, I am here with my co-host, Helen Bond, professor of Christian origins and head of the School of Divinity at the University of Edinburgh, and the one person on this podcast who actually knows what she's talking about, <laughs> Helen how are you?
1: Hi there, Dave. I'm very well, thank you. Looking forward to to having our chat.
0: Perfect. Well, we are going to dive into one of your favorite topics today, aren't we? Jesus's female disciples. You wrote uh, a whole book about this, right?
1: I did with my good friend and uh, co-author Joan Taylor from King's College London.
0: Nice. I want. I mean, we we got to plug it. I mean, this is like we're here. We should plug the book. So, what what is the book called?
1: It's called. Uh, <laughs> I can't remember. It's called <laughs> <You know> Women... <laughs> <this>. <laughs> Women Remembered, jesus's Female Disciples. And it's by Helen Bond and Joan Taylor and published by Hodder and Stoughton. Just came out oh, last right. year and available in all good bookshops. <laughs> and on the on the web. <laughs> yeah,
0: hey, even the bad ones on the web. Even too, the bad too, ones too, that's
1: it. right.
0: <laughs> awesome. Um okay, so jesus's female disciples. Now I've read the New Testament at least twice. And I am pretty sure that Jesus had twelve disciples, and they were all men. So where do you get this idea that he had female disciples too?
1: Ah, uh, well, you haven't been reading it very well, have you, Dave? Uh, have you? I mean, did you not did you not see Mary Magdalene, Martha, and Mary? Yeah, um, but they weren't all disciples. of those women. In, well,
0: mm.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't make excuses. I'm not finished yet, <laughs> um, <laughs> Susanna um joanna there were all kinds of women and the thing is you and you're doing what everybody does you just mm. kind of bypass them your brain just mm. says okay these are these are not important people I, let, let me just get on a little bit further till till the mm. 12 guys come and then we get the proper <laughs> the proper action let's let's just not bother about the women too much but if you look carefully they are there well
0: of course they're there i'm i am i am teasing <laughs> now but the, the it does bring up a fair question which is Clearly, women played a huge role in this in the early, you know, Jesus movement and among his early followers. So why do you think they get such short shrift in 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 the New Testament? Why do we only get the occasional mention and then have to piece it all together from these, yeah. these tiny clues? I,
1: I think there's a couple of reasons for that. One is that um, that the gospels were written in a deeply patriarchal age i mean the first century it was it was a story of what men were doing and you know what what jesus and then the male disciples and then paul and then the church fathers it was it was it was natural for people to to tell the story through the eyes of men the men that were doing mm. things Um, So I think that's one reason why the stories of what women were doing, as actually often today as well, you know, it's the the, Mm. the man comes along, the man in charge. Um, And so a lot of the stories about what women were doing just get sort of forgotten or dropped. Um, But there's another reason. And that's because in the first century, it was generally regarded as um if if a religion had too many women it was regarded Mm. as a bad thing so um you know it was a sign of being some kind of superstition or women gone mad you know what you wanted Hmm. was a decent proper kind of religion with men in charge women knowing their place so i think there's also this sort of push to the evangelists not to mention too many women, particularly not too many women in leadership roles or women sort of going anywhere beyond just sort of looking after the house and children Mm. and that kind of thing. So I think there's a kind of a double thrust um, that means that the gospel writers just don't tend to mention too many women. Mm-hmm. And, and actually, the fact that we get any of them at all, and we know some of their names, suggests that this is you know just the the tip of the iceberg and that there's actually a huge story of women's involvement that just hasn't all come down to us.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, terrific. Yes. So some of these names that you, you mentioned, Mary Magdalene, I think we have to start with her. Well, actually, before we get to Mary Magdalene, <laughs> why are there so many Marys? Why are like everybody's name Mary?
1: Yeah, it does seem to have been the case that everybody in the first century was called Mary. And if they weren't called Mary, they were called Salome. So um, something like a third of women in the first century were called Mary. And we know that from tomb inscriptions. So, you know, there were just lots of Marys. And so it was really important when you get a Mary that you have to say which Mary you're talking about. So Mary, the mother of Mary, the wife of Um, women were generally referred to in terms of who their sons were or their husbands Mm -hmm. or their fathers. But. If you have a Mary, then it's particularly important to identify her. And some of the Marys in um, in, in the tradition also have nicknames in the same way that the, the men have nicknames, like, you know, Simon gets called Peter by Jesus. Mm. So um, Mary Magdalene may well be a, a nickname. Um, it might mean she came from the town of Magdala, or it might also mean she was a, a tower, because the Aramaic word migdal means um, a tower, so oh. perhaps she was a tower of strength or a tower of faith. Um, so, yeah, there's just lots and lots of Marys around. And so you have to kind of say which Mary you mean.
0: <laughs> and I know that as, <laughs> later we'll see that causes some confusion. But uh, so m- probably Miriam would have been her name or, or said Mariam. Those are the kind of the two... Yeah. Is that, is that Hebrew or Aramaic? Yes, or
1: exactly. It? In Hebrew and Aramaic, they are um, the, the, the name is Miriam, which is um Moses' sister in the Old yeah. Testament. So you can see why that was popular. And it was also the the name of Herod the Great's favourite wife. I mean he also mm. killed her. But she was his what? favorite wife and she, her name in, in, in her name was Mariami. And so um, lots of lots of women were were named after her a little bit like, you know, lots of women were called Elizabeth or Margaret when uh, the queen, right, right, right. Uh, when our queen was was little.
0: And Mary, our word Mary, where does that come from?
1: That's like a, a, it's a Greek Uh, It's from the Greek Maria and then sort of Latinized into Mary. So, yeah, we've gone through many, many different versions, many different languages before we get to Mary. So um, So, these Marys in the New Testament would have been known as as Mariam, probably by by the people who knew them.
0: I don't think anybody names their little girl girls, Mary anymore. Have you met any Marys?
1: Not lately, only in the uh, school nativity. things (laughs) things <laughs> right, right, not that's, many that's
0: gonna make a comeback all the old names come back so uh, soon enough
1: <laughs> probably we'll
0: be Mary again um all right so yeah sorry we have to get back to mary magdalene so you know how how important do we think she was within this early group of followers like should she have been the 13th apostle if we're being fair
1: Um, I'd put her higher up than that, actually. I mean, I think she is really important. Um, She's named in all four Gospels. um, And again, you know, they they didn't have to name anybody, you know, you always need to remember, they didn't have to tell us anything. Hmm. So they all mention her. and I think probably, I mean, nowadays, you know, everyone says that the Dan Brown thing, she was, oh, she was the love interest. She was Jesus's mm-hmm. wife. Um, or the older version, she was a repentant prostitute. I think it's mm-hmm. much more likely that, um, that she was part of a, a whole, a whole group of female disciples who went to women. And when you think about it, this is a, a very gendered society, um, a little bit like sort of, I suppose Arab societies today—you know—the men are all together in the outside space. The women tend to be together in the indoor space, or mm. they're down at the the river, sort of washing clothes. And it would have been unthinkable for a couple of male missionaries to go and talk to mm. a group of women. So, um, what what you needed there was was a, a, a woman or a couple of women to go and and fight, you know, seek out the women in the town, talk to them, go into their homes, tell them about it. And so you would have needed female missionaries um, for you know fifty percent of the population. It's just that we only hear about that that male fifty percent. Hmm. And so quite often in, in the um, certainly in the in the letters um, in the New Testament in Paul's letters you, and and also Acts you hear about missionary pairs, a man and a woman. And there may be evidence in the Gospels too that already in the time of Jesus. He was sending people out in twos, and um we're not told about the gender, but quite likely this was a man and a woman for exactly that reason so that mm-hmm. so that they could go anywhere they could go to a household, the man could talk to the men the woman could talk to um to, to, to the the woman in charge and and her daughters and and the rest of the household and so I think it's quite likely that Mary Magdalene was quite prominent within that sort of group of, of female disciples she's kind of the equivalent to peter peter seems hmm. to be generally the spokesman and the one in charge of the male disciples and and so her role then would be kind of peter's sort of equivalent but but in the the female yeah. gathering
0: you mentioned yeah this these these ideas that we have about her so explain why why where did this idea come up that she was this repentant prostitute that is not in the text as far No,
1: as it's not. And and that's the strangest thing, you know, when, when when I get my first year class to sort of tell me where where in the gospels does Mary Magdalene turn up. And she actually turns up far less often than than you think. It's it's surprising how little she turns up in the in the mm. New Testament. Um so she's I mean basically her, her main role is is there at the end at the empty tomb, um, and, and, and at the cross before that. But but the way she gets um turned into this uh, repentant prostitute is exactly what we were talking about before, the fact that so many women are called Mary and and also some women just don't get their names at all. You know, they're just anonymous in the text. And so around about the sixth century, um, a pope called Gregory the Great um i mean he, probably there was a sort of a long tradition of doing this before him but he's the first one that we know of for sure he amalgamated mary magdalene with um the woman who anoints jesus in uh, mark's gospel who isn't given a name at all but in john's gospel she's called mary of bethany and so he sort of put these together And then also brought in um, another woman who anointed Jesus in Luke's gospel. Um, That happens much earlier in Luke's gospel. And again, she's not given a name, but she's said to be a sinful woman from the city. Mm. So, you know, what else could she be? but a prostitute. And then, of course, there's another strange story in uh, John's Gospel about a woman taken in adultery. And again, no name there, but, you know, adulterous mm. woman, again, must be a prostitute. So Gregory sort of pulled all of these stories together and created this kind of composite picture of the Magdalene, who was who is this prostitute who came to Jesus, loved Jesus, was uh, forgiven of her sins by Jesus, and then poured out her love for him through the um, through the anointing. And and yeah. it, I mean, it's a really, really powerful story because um, this great story of repentance, the repentant sinner, and there she is in art, in sermons. I mean, it's a, a powerful story, but probably has no basis in historical yeah. fact.
0: I could see her reading this and being like, what? Like, where did, what, where did you, where should you get this idea? Because I know. Because like, like you said in the text, I mean, it seems like she's this, this very important figure. I mean, they, could she have been, it seems like she and some of these other women that we're going to talk about were partly bankrolling some of these operations. Is, is that yeah, another well, idea?
1: That's the impression that, that Luke gives. In, in, in Luke 8, he he mentions the women quite early. And, and, and it's clear from all of the Gospels that, that these women are actually on the road with Jesus and the 12. So, you know, that mental picture we have of Jesus and the 12 men. Occasionally nowadays people will slip Mary in there too. But we should be thinking about a whole group of women. So if Jesus is on the road with a mixed group of, of people going around uh, Galilee, And Luke specifically says that some of these women were quite wealthy Mm. and Mary Magdalene is one of them. So he's saying that she and also uh, Joanna, the wife of Herod's steward, um, they are sort of bankrolling that they're paying for things out of their resources, paying for either them or him um out of their resources so it does seem as if it's its financial aid they're giving i mean we don't know exactly what they're doing are they are they giving poor relief as they go along are they buying in uh bread if they need it are they paying for inns when they don't have hospitality it's not very clear what they're doing but but again that's just a really interesting tiny tiny little reference that you can very easily miss but you know, when you start to think about it, these women are on the road with Jesus and they're paying for things. So, you know, mm-hmm. what's going on here? That they're, they're not just in, kind of the, the wags. Do you have that expression, wives and girlfriends? You know, they're not just hanging on at the back. I've heard
0: it. I don't think we use that as much. But yeah, is that like a soccer player thing? Yeah, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, of course, I'm calling it soccer also, not the right thing. Oh. But um she, we don't, there's no, like with Mary Magdalene in the in, in specifics, like, no mention of, like you said, she's not wife of so-and-so. She's not daughter of so-and-so. She's not mother of so-and-so. So who knows? She she seems to have means, but we don't. We don't have any clue as to where that came from or
1: No, how. and we don't know anything about her age or anything like that. You know, she, mm. in, in films she's always portrayed as this sort of very glamorous. She's always got nail mm. varnish on. I mean, goodness knows where she got this <laughs> nail varnish from, but you know, henna and and and, and coal on her eyes. And um I mean, you know, she could have been 70. I mean, we just don't know. And sure. she she could have had a, a family who've all gone, um, she's been left a mm. bit of money. And she thinks, you know, I'm I'm still fairly fit. I'm going to get off and um, follow some preacher man. We just don't know. Well, that's
0: our that's one of our many hot takes from this podcast. That, that <laughs> Mary Magdalene was 73, and uh, so and she did not wear makeup. That's probably true. <laughs> um, so you've mentioned some other folks like Joanna. So. Tell me about Joanna because we do the of somebody who we say you know wife of so-and-so. so and so. So who who was her husband and who may she have been?
1: Yeah, well, in I mean, in her case, her husband is really interesting. She's the wife of Herod's steward Chusa. Um, Herod's steward is kind of the manager of Herod's estates. So this is this is a a really important person it's possible he might have been a slave but even if he was a slave he's still a man of status and this is the kind of the weird thing about slavery in the first century you can still be a slave but also be you know a manager of vast estates i mean we don't know kind of what his exact status is but in, in any case, he is he is a man with huge amount of responsibility. He's he's high up in the administration in Herod Antipas's um, court. His wife, presumably, is also of high status. Um, Jewish, probably because her name, Joanna, is Jewish. And, and we don't know whether, she, has she left Chusa? Is he still in court? Is he, is he mm. really annoyed that his wife has left? Or, or does she go with his blessing? And, um, you know, are there other people at Herod's court who are followers of Jesus? Is it just Joanna who mm. decides to go on the road? But, um, so the, lots and lots of questions about her, but I think she's a fascinating character and also suggests that. Whilst most of these women were probably very poor fisherwomen, probably relatives of the 12 male disciples, she is, is a posh woman. You know, she's a woman of mm. means. And did they all think she was really snooty? What did she think of them? <laughs> you know, she's, she's kind of a, from a diff, she's used to a different lifestyle to them. Mm. And um, so really interesting in terms of sort of the mixture of people on the road mm-hmm. with Jesus.
0: And another just yeah offhand line and offhand mention of somebody who you know that there's a there's such a deep story there, if we
1: yeah, could, yeah I only know it I know, so, I know <laughs> well,
0: and then you said that you know a lot of them were likely related to some of the disciples, um is there a chance Salome, I pronounce it Salome Salome. Like, aren't there clues that she might have been Jesus's sister? Is there? Well, some idea yeah. There? I mean,
1: it's it's so interesting because, like I said earlier, Salome is is a really common name. Mm. Um, if you're not called Mary, basically, you're called Salome because that's another kind of name. Um, from the Jewish past. Um, so the interesting thing about Salome is that she she's just called Salome. I mean, she just pops up. I mean, very very briefly again at the at the crucifixion scene. Um, and and also at the empty tomb. Um, and the fact that she's just called Salome suggests that people know her. You know, she's not the daughter mm. of, the wife of, the mother of. She's mm. not Salome from Beersheba or something. She's just mm. Salome. Um, so presume at the very least, she must be somebody who's quite big in the ancient church, somebody who, who people know about. Um, but there's also traditions that Jesus has a sister called Salome, um, so I mean, who knows? I, I I think it's quite likely, actually, that a lot of these women were the wives, mothers, mm. cousins of the disciples. Um, we know from Mark's gospel that Jesus had sisters. Um, you know why why not? Why why sure. should one of his sisters not have been along with him on the road? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, cool. Can't prove um, it, but it's a nice idea.
0: No, can't prove it. So I think <laughs> let's let's put it out there. Um, <laughs> Mary and Martha they show up in a in a couple of the gospels mm-hmm. they seem to be very close with Jesus Jesus spends a lot of time with them and and their brother um what I wanted to get to was the thing that everybody knows about Mary and Martha that that story where which is the one who's who's supposedly in the kitchen busy it's Martha Martha okay so and then Martha comes out she says why is my sister not helping me she's mad, and Jesus kind of scolds her and says, you know, Mary's here doing the right thing. You have an interesting take on this, that we might kind of be getting some of this wrong.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I find this such a really interesting story, because I think just about every woman sides with Martha. <laughs> you know, <we're... laughs> And, and and the fact that she gets scolded is just really awful. Everyone thinks, yeah, yeah, exactly. That's exactly what I would do. If Jesus came to my house, I would be busy, you know. And And everybody thinks that Martha is busy in the kitchen. And even even art and stuff, you know, it's it's always Martha in the kitchen and sort of, you know, in another room, there is Mary sitting there hanging on Jesus's every word. Mm. Um, But the strange thing about the text is that it never says anything about food or kitchen or or anything that would imply or at least clearly imply that what she's doing is cooking meals the word there that the word that's used diakoneo um in greek can mean uh, ministering and so it can mm. mean um it, it's a word that comes from um the word to mean that, that means a servant so it can mm. mean any kind of kind of service so she could be um she could be waiting on to on table, she could be in the kitchen, but she could be doing any number of things. And this is actually the word that's used um, in the early church for um, for ministering amongst a congregation. So yeah. it's possible also that you know I think because it's a, a story about women we tend to kind of naturally assume that it's hmm. something to do with women and that it only speaks to women if if this was a story about men I think we would interpret it rather differently but so so we hmm. assume Martha is in the kitchen but what the story might actually be saying is that she's too busy with too much ministering so too much hmm. of the sort of anxiety of ministry she's too bothered hmm. with making sure you know drawing up lists making sure everybody's coming at the right time doing all of these things and she's kind of forgetting the main point which is if jesus comes to your house you drop hmm. everything and you listen <laughs> um and so yeah you know it's so It could be about the kitchen, but it could be about a wide range of other things. And I think Mm. rather than kitchen, probably what it's really talking about is just anything that takes you away from hearing the word.
0: I want to get to somebody that is fascinating to me, and I know she is to you. So Prisca. So Prisca comes along in, uh, is it X or or the letters? Is it yeah, we Acts? hear
1: about her in both the Acts and, okay. and Paul actually. So you know she's she's clearly quite an important woman in the early church.
0: And then she is always Prisca and Aquila. it's yeah. never Aquila and Prisca. So what is that significant? What, what do you think?
1: I think it is. Yeah, I mean, again, because this is a very gendered society, you would always mention the man first and you might yeah. not even mention the 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 name's the name of the wife so you might just say aquila and his wife um and, and and that to us sounds quite demeaning i mean i wouldn't want anyone to do that to me but in the ancient world that was thought of as being you know very polite you you don't well, no,
0: i mean in the in the fifties, they were still calling women, you know, Mrs. John Smith or whatever. Right? So I know. That's, that's not even I, that far away.
1: I know. I sometimes get letters addressed that way, and I absolutely oh, wow. hate it. Yeah, <laughs> it's still. I know it's still a thing, and it's thought of as being or at least, you know, the, the general idea of it is that it's thought of as being very polite and and, and mm. not not bringing the woman not sullying the woman by bringing her into kind sure, of the sure. public world. Um, <laughs> so. Yeah, that was, that was just the norm of the time. So, so to, to put the woman's name first and, um, Luke, Luke puts the woman's name first most of the time. Paul puts the woman's name first all of the time. Mm. So that does suggest that, um, she is much better known and probably you know a, a more important and influential person in the early church than than her yeah, husband so who who
0: who was prisca who do we think she was
1: well she um we i mean we hear quite a lot about her in in acts um she's she's expelled from rome um there's there's some kind of rioting or something happening in the 40s and the emperor tiberius expels Luke says the Jews, but it's quite possible that it was Christian Jews who were expelled mm. because of some something to do with um, rioting over um, missionaries or something like that. So anyway, she we first hear of her as a refugee coming coming to um, to Corinth, and and she's she's a tent maker. She has some kind of little shop there. She practices her trade with her husband, and she seems to be the one who who brings the christian faith first of all to corinth when paul Mm. comes he stays with them and then he uses them as a base i mean of course paul says you know i i founded the church here but but it's pretty clear that that prisca and aquila have already been there Mm. and then they go to ephesus and they do the same thing again they just kind of start the, the sort of christian base and then paul turns up and then they do exactly <laughs> the same thing in Rome. They go back to Rome eventually, and they sort of go to house church there. They sort of, you know, beavering away. And then Paul says, "Well, I'm going to come to Rome too." So, in many ways, mm-hmm. I mean, the fact that you see this three times replicated suggests that this is a missionary policy. That that um, Prisca and her husband they go to a place, they open their tent shop, their, 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 their leather working shop. They, I mean, it's a great base to kind of to meet people, to talk to people, hmm. bring them in, um, and they sort of start the the, the Christian uh, group there, and then and then Paul comes and he sort of works with with what they've already kind of gathered together. So this does seem to be um, a way to kind of pool their resources. So they start it, and then Paul comes and kind of you know takes the credit wow
0: well again like talk about tip of the iceberg like yeah just this idea that there's this couple with her listed her named first and they're going and kind of planting the church in in so many different places and there's there's like there's there's hints in the text you know they're having meetings in their shop or in their house like they're that's where the you know church is happening
1: yeah in in uh in roman's in romans sixteen paul says that um they've got a house church in 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 their house, so if it's a house it's a it's a shop whatever but mm-hmm. he also says um that they risked their necks for him oh. so you know I would love to know the back the back story there you know what what do they do they 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 clearly they're you know they're very close to to paul they're 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 sticking their necks out for paul they're they're doing all sorts of stuff so um I would love to know a little bit more about it. The, yeah, the trouble is the author of Acts, as I said earlier, you know, their story is the story of what men were doing in terms mm. of spreading the Christian message. So so the focal point in the second half of Acts is, is Paul himself. And so yeah. Prisca just comes in sort of almost incidentally. So we're, we're not hearing these stories mm. about what she got up to.
0: Well, another woman who fits that bill of, of clearly somebody who was playing a huge role is uh, is Phoebe, right? And and she again, this, we're getting like a couple lines, but you can infer a lot from those from those lines.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, again, she comes from the the very last chapter of Paul's letter to the Romans, Romans sixteen, and this is a really important letter for for Paul because he's writing to people he doesn't know. And he's setting out his theology and he's saying, I'm going to come soon and, uh, you know, I'll, I'll come and see you. Um, but he's very much hoping that they're going to accept his way of seeing things. And so in the very last chapter, he gives a list of all the people he knows in, in Rome and says, you know, these people are going to vouch for me. But right at the head of the, the letter, he, um, he says, I commend to you Phoebe. And um, he says she's a deacon of the church in Kentria, which is in uh, it's the port of um, of Corinth. And he says that she's a, a benefactor of, of of many, she including him, himself. So she is clearly a woman of some status. She's a deacon. She's got money. She's um, she can act as a benefactor. She's a woman of of status within the the Christian group in in Corinth. But what's really amazing about that is the fact that she's at the top of the list and she's clearly somebody that they don't know because he's commending her to the the people in Rome. So she is clearly the one bringing the letter. And it's Mm. only really in recent times, I think, that scholars have sort of that this is twigged for scholars. You know, people have suddenly (laughs) thought, oh, yeah, wait a minute. So Paul has sent the most important letter he will ever write to Rome Hmm. with a woman so she is the one carrying this letter and presumably she's not just handing it over and saying there you go lads you know just see what you make of that she is probably the one reading it out because she's probably Hmm. met with Paul she knows Paul she knows his thought and she's going to be reading it out and when the the way it would have worked in the ancient world is that she read she read it out and then people would have asked her questions they would have discussed Hmm. it so Phoebe is the first interpreter of Paul, and I think I think that's pretty mind blowing. Really, when you think wow. about how difficult it's been for women until the, the until recent times, sometimes to to study theology, you know, to realize that that the first interpreter of Paul was probably Phoebe, and, and also I think it says something about Paul as well. You know, everybody thinks Paul is this great misogynist, but hmm. actually, for Paul to have sent this letter by the hand of a woman says a lot about him i think
0: and is it is it not the case like scholars kind of think that some of that misogynistic language that gets into there where he's like shushing the women (laughs) or keep your head covered or whatever like that that might have been inserted later right yeah
1: yeah that's right he's always shushing women um there's it's a combination of things. Some of the letters that are attributed to Paul probably weren't written by Paul. So um, the pastoral letters, one and two, um, Timothy and Titus, probably come from the early second century. And this mm. goes back to that idea that um, that respectable re- respectable religions should have quiet and respectable women. Women should mm. know their place. Men in charge, women quiet, dressed demurely, don't make too much fuss, you know. Keep quiet in the church, um, and 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 this probably comes from the early second century, at a time when the church realised that, you know, the end of the world wasn't coming quite that soon, and um, and and they were there for the long haul. So probably someone else wrote it in Paul's name, and hmm. probably around about the same time, um, you get little bits that are inserted into letters of Paul. Um, there's a little bit in uh, 1 Corinthians 14, where having o- already said to the women in chapter 11, you can you can prophesy, just cover your heads. Suddenly in chapter mm. 14, he starts to say, oh, I don't permit any women to talk in the churches. Um, and, and, and it doesn't make sense. Um, mm-hmm. But when you look at the manuscripts, you can see that, these verses pop up in slightly different places in different manuscripts. They mm. also have little notations against them, which shows that early scribes knew of copies of the text that didn't have them. And mm. all of those are classic signs that what we have here is an insertion. And probably what happened is that somebody wrote something in the margin. You know, some scandalised reader said, "Ah, oh, women shouldn't be speaking at all in the churches. And then mm-hmm. and these are all being hand copied. So as a copyist came along and he found this bit in the margin and he thought, hmm, am I gonna add that or not? You know, let's add it but put some brackets around it and gradually it sort of works its way into the text.
0: All right. So I'm gonna lay off of Paul. Maybe he was a good guy. He seems <laughs> like he was a good guy. Um well man, talk about tip of the iceberg. We we have just, you know, grazed a lot of a lot of topics that we can have whole episodes about in the future but fascinating thank you so much helen
1: it's great maybe we will have and we haven't even started on people like feckler and um all those second century martyrs there's, there's lots more women to talk about awesome
0: all right well thank you so much i hope our listeners enjoyed that and i hope you guys come back for more episodes but this was biblical time machine and we will see you next time bye
1: bye